You know, I got to admit this week, um, I was listening on YouTube uh, to, to that new song, God is So Good. And, and I, I, I'm not sure, I, at, at that point, I wasn't sure I really liked it. You know, I was there, eh, it's an okay song. But I tell you this morning, I, I had tears coming. What rich lyrics. What rich lyrics. And how powerfully that speaks to us and of the goodness of God and his mercy to us. And, and so, uh, yeah, it went up a few notches on my list there today as we worship together. Sometimes you got to hear it live and experience what God is doing in our midst. And so that's, uh, that's great. Today we are in uh, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And here today another person is coming to ask Jesus a question as we're in our series 5 questions that matter. This story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And as we heard heard this story read to us by Gabe, uh, we get different perspectives a little bit. Uh, Luke says that he is a ruler. Now, we don't know what kind of ruler. Probably maybe like a city council or a judge or or some sort of court. But he might sit on some council, some court. Uh, Matthew tells us that he's young. So we see he's young and he's a ruler. And then all three eventually tell us that he's rich. So we have a story that we typically call the rich young ruler, right? So it's this rich young ruler, this man that comes to Jesus in Luke chapter 18. And he's got a question. And Pastor Eric last week said, you know, when people like this come and ask a question, a lot of times they're there to trick Jesus. They're trapping. They want to catch him in his words. But that doesn't seem to be the case here. This seems to be a genuine question desire to know and to learn. Because actually, if we read in Mark chapter 10, it starts off this way, the story in verse 17. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. And so you see here, this is Jesus. He's, he's, he's wrapped up for the day and he's headed here. We don't, is he headed out of town or he's just headed home for the night or wherever? He, but he's leaving. And this man must see Jesus leaving and says, oh man, I got to ask a question. I got I to gotta get to the master. And, and we see this picture of urgency, a picture of him running up. And he runs up to Jesus and then he says he, he fell on his knees in a position of honoring. And so he comes up and he, he falls on his knees in, the, in honor of Christ. And then he cries out, good teacher. Good teacher. And then the question. The question is this. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And as he's thinking of this, I'm sure he's thinking of all the works of righteousness that a Jew would do in their culture. And as he's there and maybe still on his knees and Jesus says, uh, first of all, why are you calling me good? Don't you know only God is good? And we, you know, we really don't know exactly what all Jesus was communicating there, but clearly he's communicating that there's a goodness about God that is above our goodness. There's a standard that God sets for goodness that measures above what we could ever even imagine. And so he's sharing that with his guys. And he starts off and he starts naming five of the Ten Commandments. Five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, that's five. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. He says, you know, do not commit murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And he lays them out and he says, you know what to do. Go do it. And the man's response to Jesus might catch us by surprise. But he says this. 
All these I have kept since I was a boy. That might sound surprising, but it might not have been that surprising actually for a, a young Jewish man in that day. They, their, their goal was to keep the law. And so we hear these words and we say, that sounds arrogant, but maybe it, maybe it isn't. Paul himself in Philippians chapter 3 verse 6 says, when it comes to acts of righteousness, the Jewish law, the, 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 the traditions, I was faultless. I was blameless. I kept them all. Even you and me, if we were asked these questions, how would we answer them? Well, I've, I've never committed adultery. I've never murdered anybody, certainly. I'm not a thief. I'm not a liar. I try to honor my parents. So, yeah, I keep those laws. We might all, we might all respond similar to this guy. Now, maybe some of us would say, I try. I'm not perfect. But I try. Most of us would say that. But this guy now, he's, I can see him. He's, he's maybe back up on his feet, and, and, and there's still something, though. He says, I've done all that. I've done all of that. And I've still got this nagging feeling there must be something else. There must be something more. I just, I just can't put my finger on it. Well, thankfully, Jesus does that for him. Jesus does that for him. He tells them, you know what you need to do? You need to go and you need to sell everything you have. You need to give it to the poor. Build yourself up treasures in heaven. And then come and follow me. There in verse 22. In week one of this series, Pastor Eric talked about having a relationship with the rules. This man, like many, had a relationship with the rules, and he was depending on the rules to save him. And he was realizing he was falling short. And here Jesus says, Does, you know, you need to get rid of, you need to get rid of your money, you need to give it away. And he says, come and follow me. Instead of having a relationship with your rules, you need a relationship with me. Come and follow me. Be part of this following. Be part of this team. Be part of this community that call themselves Christ's followers and come follow me. And without even bringing up the commands he skipped over, he kind of points out, you know, he never mentioned command number 10, don't covet. <laughs> Jesus never mentioned the man, don't have any other gods before me, command number one. He never mentioned the man, don't have any idols. But by this time, the man is understanding, most likely, I need to give up some things. There's some things that he's calling me to. There are some things in my life, and he's just asked me to give him up. This man was good. He was good. But there's our good, and then there's God's good. There's our good, and there's God's good. And in James chapter 2, we are told this. Whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking it all. Just one point, just one stumble, and we're guilty of breaking it all. Romans 3.23, Paul says, all have sinned. 
We all are guilty. We've all broken at least that one law. We all have sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. Just one little mistake makes you a lawbreaker. In my, uh, in my prior career, before I came here as pastor and served, I, I, I did a lot of work. It was expert testimony in courts. Uh, the work I did would get me in, in, in court many times, and I would have to re- present reports anywhere from 50 to 100 to 150 pages long or more. Many times there were divorce cases, contested cases, and I was there as the expert. And, it, you know, in those reports that I would produce, it was imperative that there was no errors, no error. It was imperative that everything be perfect because there was a, an opposing counsel, member, no, opposing counsel who was going to question me on the stand. And if there was one thing wrong, he would rip me. And, and so it, even, even that one typo would bother me. It would freak me out. <laughs> and we had a saying that went along with that. It was saying in the industry, it was this, once stupid, always stupid. <laughs> once stupid, always stupid. You make one mistake, one calculation error, one incorrect application of law or theory or techniques, then all of a sudden the whole thing falls apart. All of a sudden you've lost your, your, your respect or, or the credentials that you had. You know, you, you, you lost that authority. Once stupid, always stupid. That's kind of like this. Once a lawbreaker, always a lawbreaker. Once we've sinned, we are a sinner. So what's the answer? What's the answer if we're all lawbreakers? And so we asked the question, very similar to the question that was asked by this young, rich ruler. And the question is simply this, what must I do to be saved? That's probably the most important question we will ever ask. It's probably the most important question we will ever answer because it's a question with eternal consequences. What must I do? You know, most of us, we don't have the Jewish works of righteousness that we worry about. But we look at the Bible and we certainly think, seems like the Bible tells us a lot of things we should do and write. We try to follow the Bible. Society has certain expectations of us. We call them laws. So we follow laws. Our culture has certain um, expectations it places upon us to act certain ways and do certain things. Our, our family, our, our coworkers, our friends, sometimes we call that peer pressure, to act a certain way. But like the rich young ruler, like so many people, we come down to this question, what do I got to, and the key word here is do. What do I got to do? Sometimes, no matter how complicated the situation, don't you just say, just, just what do I got to do? Now, this has never happened in our offices here at church. But if you ever, here's an example of that. Have you ever wanted to send an email, maybe to a group of people, and you're just not sure where to click to do it? And you call your computer expert, 
And you say, how do I do this? I just want to send this email. And all of a sudden, you get a lecture on the history of computer technology. <laughs> Start to tell you the languages that these computers are speaking and why this computer can speak to this computer but not that computer. And how, why there's, a, why there's this, 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 this transcription or encryption or whatever they call it. And, and, why, and why this happens and why that happens. And you sit there and say, I just want to send the email. <laughs> I just want to know what I need to do to send the email. Now, that never happened here. So... I want you to know that. But we just, we just want to know what it is we got to do. What do I got to do? And typically, a church response, a good church response, you've probably heard this before, it's not what you do, it's what's been done. Right? You've heard that? And that's good, that's good. But what that does is it takes the focus off of us and puts it on God and what he's done for us, which is good. And we start thinking about all these things about what God's done for us and we, we get these big words and big terms, original sin, uh, sacrificial atonement, grace, forgiveness, regeneration, adoption, re redemption, justification, glorification. And we have many sermons on those things about what God's done for us. And we got, get done and we say, okay, but what do I gotta do? <laughs> We even write books. Pastor Eric, I want to prove that I have books too, if you were here last week. <laughs> I have books too. We start talking about what do I got to do, and then it goes into well, what God has done for us, right? And so, we got, and so then we start developing all these big words I just mentioned, and we come up with a, a systematic theology to explain it all. 1,291 pages to explain what God's done for us. <laughs> And if that's not good enough, we need a dictionary of theology, New Testament theology to explain these terms. And here is 3,326 pages of dictionary explaining the terms. And we read all this and we look at those and say, I just want to know what to do. <laughs> this is nice. I love your theology and I love when you preach about sanctification and justification and, and our, our need for atonement and all that. But what do I got to do? What do I got to do? That's what this man wanted to know. What do I have to do? All I want to know is what I got to do. And so we start looking in the scriptures. And what, it, we, we look at what seems like a simple question, right? Okay, where in the Bible do I find what do I got to do? And when we start looking, we start finding out that there's a lot of scriptures that tell us a lot of different things about what we might want to do. And, and we start looking at specific scripture passages and we find out things like you must be born again. You must be, you, you got to accept, you got to receive, you got to obey commands, you got to sell everything. Some say, somewhere it says you got to confess, somewhere it says you got to repent, somewhere it says you got to be baptized. Okay, what is it? In fact, if you go to Matthew 25, it seems to say if you do all of these things, but you don't give to the poor, you don't visit the prisoner, you don't feed the hungry, then he never knew you. And we start to say, what is it? What is it? We're asking a question similar to what pastor and author Rob Bell wrote in his very controversial book, Love Wins, in the first chapter. He starts looking at all these things and he says, well, which one is it? Which one do we pick? It's got to be more simple than this, doesn't it? Well, you know, the gospel is good news. And I got good news. I think it is a lot more simple than this. And I think the simpleness starts with a verse that we probably learned if you've been in the church, maybe one of the first verses you ever learned, the verse you learn in Sunday school. A verse that talks about being saved and what we must do to be saved. 
It's one of the best, most well-known passages in the Bible. It's John 3, 16. And it simply says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, here was this man who had this relationship with the rules. He had this relationship with the commands and trying to follow those, and he was finding out it was a toxic relationship because the relationship was breaking him. It was breaking him. But you know, that's what the rules are designed to do. That's what the law is designed to do. It's designed to break us so that we turn and we turn to a Savior. We turn to this one that God loved, that God gave. It says here that God so loved the world that he gave his son. In week two of our series, we said God cares for you. God loves you. No matter what you're going through, you are important to God. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his son. The verse tells us that whoever believes in him shall not perish. In week two, three, we said, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God gave his only son so that we could know him. He told this man who came up to him, sell everything, give to the poor, follow me. Follow me because I am the way. Finally, it says this, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Last week, Pastor Eric answered the question, what happens after we die? Well, we have eternal life with Jesus Christ. This question answers all the questions. This verse answers all the questions. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The key there is that word believe. Believe. You say, well, what does it mean to believe? Well, you know, sometimes, sometimes these books are kind of nice because they, they let us go just a little deeper. Because sometimes in English, our belief is is. is could be, like, I believe that, that I'm, I'm going to finish this sermon at some point in time. You know, that's, a, that's not a real confident belief, you know. <laughs> but but I, I, we believe different things. We have different levels of belief. Well, there's a, there's a Greek word that's here, used here 248 times in the New Testament. Pistuo. Pistuo. It's a, it's a word of belief. A word of acceptance. It says, I am, this word says, I am persuaded. But it's not just about the facts. It's I'm persuaded to the point where I trust. I'm persuaded to the point where I commit. It actually comes from the root of another Greek word. It's, the Greek word is pistis. That word is Faith. Faith is the noun. It's what we base our, our, our beliefs on. But believe, pastuo, is the verb. What do you got to do? I got to pastuo. I got to believe. I got to believe. I got to believe with a belief that accepts. I got to believe with a belief that trusts. I got to believe with a belief that commits. 
Billy Graham website, billygram.org, was asked the question, what does it mean to believe in Christ? Here's how they answered it. The word believe in the Bible means more than simply agreeing in our minds that something might be true. It means trust. That we believe so strongly in God that we are willing to commit our lives to him and live the way we know he wants us to live. Our belief becomes a trust. Our belief becomes a way of life. Our belief becomes a commitment. I think this is illustrated well in a story, or maybe you've heard of a man named Charles Blondin. Blondin was a, the first man ever to walk a tightrope across the Niagara Gorge. That's kind of scary. In fact, they didn't believe he could do it. He was known as the daredevil of Niagara Falls. They were told, you're crazy. The winds, are, there's no way anybody can walk across the gorge of Niagara Falls. But on June 30th, 1859, on a two-inch rope, Blondin with 25,000 people approximately watching on either side, the American side and the U.S. side, strung up, they had strung up the two-inch rope, and he walked across the Niagara Gorge. And interestingly enough, not only did he walk across, but he stopped halfway through, yelled down to the mate of the mist, got it to stop under him, lowered a line, had him tie on a bottle of wine, pulled it up, drank it, put it back down, and then kept walking. <laughs> That's a guy's pretty confident, right? Crowd went crazy, went nuts. Well, that rope was still there, so over the next weeks, he did this many more times. In fact, he would do all kinds of things. He would somersault. One time he took a chair. You know how they balance one leg of a chair on a rope, and then they stand on the chair? He did that. One time he went across with a sack over his head so he couldn't see. But on July 15th that year, former President Millard Fillmore was even one that was in the audience, on the crowd, on the, beat, on the sides of Niagara. He was there as, as Blondine started in the U.S., and he got on the rope, and he walked backwards all the way. Tell me what I'm up here. I don't want to. <laughs> he walked backwards all the way to Canada. Then when he got to Canada, he walked over, and he grabbed a wheelbarrow. And he started on the rope again, and he started walking towards the U.S., I'm, I'm, I don't think he was gawking around. I think he was watching. And he starts walking to the U.S. And he gets to the other side and the crowd's going crazy. He had walked across this tightrope, two-inch rope, pushing a wheelbarrow. And then it's alleged that he said, do you believe that I could do this, push this wheelbarrow with a person in it? The crowd's going, yes, 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 we believe. <laughs> you know what he asked next? <laughs> Do I have a volunteer? <laughs> Do I have a volunteer? That's taking belief to trust. That's taking belief to trust. Now, I've heard various reports. Some people say, some, most people say no one volunteered that day. But that's what, that's what belief and trust is. 
That's, that's coming and saying, Lord, I believe you so much. I'm willing to put my life in your hands. I, I believe so much. I, I intellectually believe, but I understand what your call in my life is, and I want to accept you. And Lord, I want you to lead my life. I want you to direct my life. And Lord, if it's just giving up and sitting in the wheelbarrow while you push, that is fine with me. That's what trust is. And that's what Jesus was asking of that man. Get rid of your stuff. You know, you're not going to take a lot of goods with you when you hop in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> if you drove your motorcycle that day, you're going to leave it behind. <laughs> All those souvenirs you bought, you're going to leave behind as you jump in. It helps us to understand, though, I think. I think it helps us to understand, why, why didn't Jesus just tell this man, just believe? Just believe. That's a good question. He never tells this man to believe. In fact, verse 23 tells us in the story, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus goes on to talk about how hard it is for a rich man to get in to heaven. What he's talking about, though, is how hard it is for anybody who puts an idol, who puts anything before God. How hard it is for any of us to try to get into heaven and try to be worshiping something else. The man realized that all he had to do was to believe in Jesus. All he had to do was to give away his, his money. All, the, all he had to do was to follow Christ. But he was also being called to give up. To give up. To give up. Anytime we turn to something, anytime we turn to something, turn to Jesus, we are turning our backs to something else. Anytime we say, I want to turn to Jesus, I'm turning from something. And this man, he was saying, you need to turn away from what's got your soul and your money has your soul. Maybe your desire for power. Maybe your desire for popularity. Maybe your desire just to whatever it may be. It may be anything in your life that is coming between you and God that you've established is in violation of the first commandment. It's, it's, it's something we're asking to turn away from. John the Baptist and Jesus called this Repentance. It goes hand in hand. Some people say it's the, same, the other side of the same coin as belief. In fact, when Peter preached that great sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it tells us that, that the, the people's hearts were pierced. And they said, brothers, to Peter and the disciples, what should we do? And the answer was this, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all those who are far off. For all who the Lord our God will call. Repent. These, these, these folks have already believed. They said their hearts were cut. They, they said, and then they said, you know what they said? They said, now what do we got to do? Well, they've believed and he says, turn toward Christ. Turn toward the Savior. Believe in him. And when you do that, we repent. Repent is not to give up doing something. Repent is to change the way we think. To have a new way of thinking. To give up that old way. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man, any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We think differently. Once we believe, we start walking in a new direction and we leave some things behind. Believe. Do you believe? And then, he says this, and then be baptized. Jesus in Matthew 28 told his disciples, go into all the world, make disciples, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see all through Acts, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts 10, 16, all through. We see folks coming to Jesus. They, they believe, and once they believe, they're now on a new path. They've repented, and then they are baptized. Now, it's clear throughout Scripture, and, and some people get this a little confused, that the baptism isn't what saves you. It's not, the baptism isn't part of the salvation experience, but it is a, a notification to the world. It is an identification that I am with Christ. I am with him. It's a symbol of our union with Christ, both in his death and in his resurrection. Romans 6, 3 through 4 says this, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that as just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It's a symbol. It's a symbol when we go into the water that we die with Christ. But while we're there, we're cleaned and we come up and we're raised into new life. But it's a symbol. Some people say, explain that to me a little more. I, I, I kind of like this one analogy that I've heard over the years. Um, a number of years ago, Sheila and I were married. Quite a number of years ago. And when we did that, we stood before the congregation, we stood before our minister, and he pronounced us husband and wife. He signed the document, and it was done. We were husband and wife. Didn't matter anything else. But there was one other little symbol that we wanted to show the world of our commitment. And one other symbol that we wanted to show the world that we had forsaken all others and were committed to each other. And so we exchanged rings. I think baptism is a lot like that. Once, once we've come and said, yes, Lord, we believe. Once we say, yes, we believe in what God has done for us. Once we've surrendered and turned from that old life, and then in celebration, we enter the waters of baptism. Today we have six people, three in this service, who have made that commitment. They've made that statement. They say, We believe. I believe. Now I want to be baptized. We're going to celebrate this today. And we're going to, you know, when they come out of the water, it's okay to yell and scream and clap and be thankful for what they've done. Because this is saying I've entered into that new life. This is saying I am in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> and I'm not getting out. Take me, Lord, where you want to take me. I am yours. What a day of celebration. 
of new life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your mercies and your love and your goodness to us. Lord, we thank you that you have indeed provided a way for us, the one and only way through Jesus Christ. Lord, this morning, I pray that we would believe in you, not just that you existed, but you are Lord of Lord and King of Kings, and Lord, that you changed our lives. We thank you for the lives that have been changed here this morning. Lord, we celebrate together as we rejoice in these baptisms. In your name we pray, amen. Hi, I'm Rebecca Bacano, and there's several reasons why I'm being baptized this Sunday. Uh, I've grown up at the church uh, since I was born. I've been going to Willoughby Hills Friends, and throughout the years I saw baptism more of a legalistic thing, not so much. Um, a spiritual thing, something you just did, dunked your head and uh, was done with it. Um, so as I uh, grew older, I started sort of feeling God tug at my heart to be baptized. Um, I moved to Florida and was a part of a church there, but it still just didn't feel right. I felt like I needed friends and family around me um, or just some magical moment that God said, hey, get baptized. Uh, so after moving back to Ohio two years ago, um, getting back involved with the church, hearing about the baptism this Sunday, uh, I wanted to see what God had to say about baptism. Um, in one verse, uh, in first uh, Acts 22, 16, he says, Now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And I thought that was perfect in my situation of God saying, Hey, why are you waiting? Um, and then another verse, First uh, Peter uh, 3, 21, um, talks about um, removing the dirt from our body, but also being a clear conscience from God. Um, and this verse to me meant, hey, this is a public symbol to get up um, in front of the congregation and show that uh, I am pledging my life to God. And so that's why I'm getting baptized this Sunday. Rebecca, do you confess Jesus as Lord and put your whole trust in his grace? Yes, I do. May the Holy Spirit work within you and bless you that you would be a faithful disciple of Jesus. Rebecca Picano, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Hi, my name is Tim Suba, uh, and I'm choosing to get baptized today because it's just something that's been long overdue. I'm 28 years old, been going to this church my whole life, uh, and it's the, one of the most important steps you can take as a Christian, just to outwardly profess uh, that you're a believer to everyone, and it's 28 years, almost 29, just a long time to wait uh, for the reasons that I had, uh, and just want to thank everybody for being here to witness this, uh, and for my family, and everybody else here who supported me at this church. Hi, Mom. <laughs> Tim, do you confess Jesus as Lord and put your whole trust in his grace? Yes. May the Holy Spirit work within you that you would be a faithful disciple of Jesus. Tim Suba, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
so now I'm gonna and I'm gonna read you my testimony. One reason I went to be, get baptized is I want to know that all the people know that I trust in God. Another reason is that I want to tell other people that don't know God. I want to tell them about Him so that they will learn about Him and start to tell others about Him. Another important thing is that I follow God and obey His commands so that they know I love Him. Another thing is that He says, obey your mom. You don't just do it then, you do it all the time. You might be poor or rich, but no matter what, you should follow Him. He is the first and the last, that you're not the false. He is the only mighty God. Praise Him and bless His holy name. For He is the mighty God and shall reign forever. So be happy that he is here for you. Understand his word, for he is good. His mercy, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures forever. Janelle, do you confess Jesus as Lord and put your whole trust in his grace? Yes, I do. May the Holy Spirit work within you that you will grow to be a faithful disciple of Jesus. Janelle Byherry, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. May would you stand with us and let's celebrate what God has done. And God, you're so good. Oh, sing. God, you're so So what must I do to be saved? 
Well, scripture's pretty clear to all those who believe on his name. You say, is it that simple? Don't I have to say a sinner's prayer? There's no magic words. Certainly you should pray, and we pray. Don't I have to come forward? You, You don't even have to come forward. Do I have to raise my hand? You don't even need to raise your hand. Do you need to fill out a connection card? No, but there is a spot on here that I'd like to begin a relationship with Christ. Do I get it on my knees? Yeah, it doesn't really need to be that way. How about anywhere? Can I do it here? Can I do it at home? Yes and yes. If you're watching on live on the internet today, you can do it right there in your home. Do I need somebody, a preacher with me? No. But I would encourage you. There is something you can do, and that's to believe. God calls us to put our trust in him, to get in the wheelbarrow. And that probably will involve at some point a prayer, maybe fill out a card. Maybe you'd like to come up this morning. We'd love to pray with you, Pastor Eric and I and others. We would, we'd love to pray with you if you say, I, I want to believe and I need somebody to help me. We can do that. If you fill out this card, say, I want to believe we will get in contact with you early next week, early this week, and, and, and talk more about what it takes. How good is good enough? If you're still wondering about that, we have books out at guest services. Pick it up, read it. What does it take? Maybe grab a friend, someone next to you. Say, hey, I want to believe, help me. But that's it. That's what the Bible requires. Pastuo. Belief. A belief that trusts. A belief that commits. A belief that turns from our old ways. A belief that calls Jesus Christ Lord and hops in the wheelbarrow. I'm going to pray one more time for us to be dismissed. But if you want to come and talk and if you want to come and give your life or if you want to grab a friend, whatever you want to do, I encourage you to do it. Today's the day. Join those who've been baptized and maybe next time it'll be you, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your goodness that loves us while we're sinners. Even though, Lord, we are at times creating our own idols and putting things in front of you, you've reached down. And Lord, you've called us to repentance. You've called us to believe. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Lord, I pray for anyone here today making that decision. Lord, we know Satan would do anything for that decision not to be made. Lord, we pray for the power of your spirit, your Holy Spirit to fill this room, Lord. May decisions be made that affect not just today, not just tomorrow, not just next year and next decade, but Lord, affect eternity. And we'll give you praise and honor thankfulness for all that you're doing. In Jesus' precious, powerful name, we pray. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Feel free to come and share if you'd like.